0: So, welcome to this week's EMG Health podcast. I'm joined this week by Graham Hall. Morning, Graham. Uh, morning, there. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming down to see us today. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a few questions about Brandon yep. Engineering and you, when you first took over back in 1993. What was your vision for the company back then, um, um, and has it evolved over the
1: years, or how has it evolved over the years? Oh, it evolved completely. I mean, in <laughs> 1993, we, um, we we bought Brandon Engineering, which, was, was, as the name suggests, was an engineering company, and initially it was in a very bad shape. And the um, the first part of the vision was just survival, but as we rebuilt the business and. Um, Established a business with proper quality systems and a stable business base. Uh, we wanted to take that engineering business and actually create a medical devices products business. So was a, it was quite a big shift of yeah. emphasis from being a, an engineering company that happens to make medical devices to being a medical device company.
0: Yeah. And, and what, what made you do that? What was the reason? Uh, well,
1: the, world's, uh, the world was fast evolving as um, the introduction of the medical device directive. So uh, in the the early 90s was a, uh, an amazingly small amount of regulation of medical devices, and we could see that this was coming along, and it was the right way to go, and actually to create a professional business um, amongst you know a large cadre of medical companies that really weren't that impressive. Uh, all of our team came from you know. Big companies like Ford and Unilever. Right. And we were quite shocked at how cottage industry, a lot of the medical devices um, yeah. uh, industry was. And we think we could do better than that. Yeah. And that was uh, basically where we saw that we could take the business and develop something very professional with innovative new products that came from using the technologies that we found from all these businesses um, around the world that yeah. we worked in. I think
0: you know, so many people I speak to, it's about seeing that opportunity
1: to do something better and it's that
0: innovation that, that, that really sparks the change. And on, yeah. on that note, you've, you've won the Queen's Award for Enterprise in Innovation uh, in 2011, I think, and also the, the Queen's Award for International Trade in 2018. I mean, that, yeah, it's phenomenal to have done that, so congratulations. Yeah. How hard was it to do that? What made you do it and, wh- and what accolades did you get for doing
1: that? Um, Well actually we've won, I was trying to count them up actually, we've won over 50 uh, innovation awards over the years and the Queen's Awards in UK terms is is, uh, by far the most famous and prestigious but we've actually won much bigger European awards like the European Business Awards for Innovation. And it really started off with that, um, um, the question you first asked me, we had an engineering business that made medical devices and we wanted to change the perception into a company that's a medical device, an innovative medical device company. So innovation awards were part of that change, uh, basically validating the things that we're doing and showing to lots of people uh, that we uh, have genuine innovations in this this line of business. And if you win one innovation award, well, that's neither here nor there. Not many people notice. When you got 50, you were winning five or six a year every year. Yeah. And that actually really changes the perception of the business internally and externally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and, and leading nicely on it, talking about changing the business. Yeah the business has obviously changed dramatically over the years but you've maintained that family identity how have you managed to do that particularly whilst expanding into europe
1: um well there's basically the business is it's owned and run or has been owned and run by my brother and i it's owned by us but we've now got a professional management team and a board of directors in place but it's basically built on our family values um we uh we're both engineers and we have the principle of Uh, developing great products that people love that do good things and do things better, improve patient care, improve the lives of clinicians using the products and the whole business you tend to employ people who are like you so the the, the business is built on that ethos of trying to do great things and it wasn't wasn't, nice to be honest it wasn't our vision at the outset it's basically building on the vision of the things that we wanted to do which was to create great products and great innovations and do clever stuff um, and the family ethos is still there. So now that the company's bigger, when we bring new people in, the first thing we explain to them is, look, these are the family ethics, these are the ethics yeah. of the business, which is you know summed up pretty quickly in, in a couple of phrases, which is the ethics of the business is to do the right thing, yeah. which covers a vast variety of things, but wherever you've got a problem and you've got to deal with something difficult, well, what's the right thing? Yeah. What, what should we be doing? Yeah. Um, and to deliver what you promise. So if we promise we're going to do something, we do everything to deliver it, yeah, yeah. and sometimes sometimes things go wrong and you can't, in which case you go to the person that you've promised and you tell them what's gone wrong and what you're going to do about fixing it. So even if you um, can't actually deliver the thing that you first promised, you give them a, a follow-up promise to fix yeah. it and do the right thing.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. We we, mm. we recruit on the values here, and yeah. it's interesting to hear you say it being about a family values and family culture. One of the first questions mm. I ask or uh, our talk about in our values interview is, mm. Know, tell me a bit about your family background because I think everyone's values are ingrained in them from childhood and you can't change mm. them so it's so important that you get people al- aligned with you uh, because if they are it'll work and if they're not it won't work so Yeah, well. absolutely, yeah I mean, that's yeah. a great thing to do. You, you, t- you talked about uh, uh, you know, expansion into Europe, and we talked about making mistakes. And, and we talked before that, that we got on air about learning from those mistakes. What, what do you think is the most valuable lesson you've learned from any of your, your mistakes whilst growing the company?
1: <laughs> um, it's probably um, it's one that we still haven't actually fixed yet, I guess. But um, we're very much interested in the products and the innovation and developing great products. And we've built well, we're on our third factory since, I, since we bought the business. So right. The expansion is definitely going along. And the thing that we've not done very well is we're not very good marketeers right. and we haven't built the marketing and sales team to actually push the project uh, some of the innovations as far as we could have done yeah. and yeah you know, in hindsight we should have started doing that earlier and we're actually setting about doing that now yeah so you know it's fantastic typical of what engineers do create some great stuff yeah and then like think about selling it yeah, afterwards yeah. um yeah, my friend actually, he did the opposite, he built, uh, they were all like striker guys, they built a fantastic sales team, yeah. and then looked for something to sell. Yeah. And we both think each other's are idiots. Yeah, you should join forces and uh, yeah, get the best of both worlds. No, I can't afford striker wages. Exactly,
0: exactly. So moving on to Pharma, they often hmm. experience prescribing inertia uh, when presenting new treatment options uh, to healthcare professionals. To what extent do you think this is a trend in the the medical device sector?
1: Um, Yeah, very much so. If you've got um, an innovation that's a development of an existing product, it's not so bad. So you you can show somebody improvement over something that they're using that fits their their workflows, their work pathways. But if you've got something that's disruptive, no matter how fantastic it is, there's a massive inertia about buying something new. I think... um, Several NHS people have explained it to me. Yeah, I think I've said if you're um, you're going to um, adopt technology in the the NHS, um, if you're an NHS buyer, um, there's no upside to buying something that's fantastic. There's only a downside to buying something that's bad or rubbish. So even if something's not very good, you're not going to be any worse off by buying it again. Yeah where um, if there's a risk about buying a new innovation, yeah. then you can get shot for buying something yeah. that didn't work. Yeah. So they're very, very risk averse, which track makes track record. Yeah, it makes it very difficult to actually move something through procurement. Um, so you've got to try to move it through you know, end users and find some people who are product champions who want to see, who can see the vision and see how it's better, yeah. and want to use that thing. And that's where you need the sales and marketing team <laughs> um, <laughs> to a certain degree. Yeah, way. to a degree. I think actually the, um, the innovativeness of the business actually is quite good at introducing the products that way. Yeah. But what we're not great is um, you know, a product that we all develop that's fantastic, we get good market traction, but if it was a bigger company with a better marketing team, you'd drive it in worldwide markets yeah. and, uh, a lot faster yeah. than we can. Yeah. And
0: um, we, we were talking again off air just about Medica, which is a, a phenomenal uh, event for those that haven't been. I, I, I've been a couple of times. It's yep. about 120,000 people, I think. Um, you, you were recently out there. What was it like? And 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 you know, what's what's the change in dynamic been over the over
1: the years? Um, well, Medica is vast. I think there's uh, around 4,000 exhibitors at Medica. Yeah. And over the years, it, it's changed. If, if you went uh, 25 years ago, it was a show where you'd meet lots of medics, doctors, particularly German guys, with then a, um, a cadre of people from all over the world who are interested in medical dec- technology and rollout and distributing around the world. And these days, it's very much a trade show. So it's very much yeah. a business-to-business show. and The dynamics change because there are a number of shows around the world that are uh, not as big as Medica but regional, so Arab Health has taken a lot of business from Medica, it tends to be that people go to both rather than one or the other though, but that dynamics change and some of the very large companies don't go there anymore because it's quite an expensive show to go to, so um, some of the the very big companies would have been spending probably £10 million on a stand, so they don't go now, they can um, uh, just do uh, direct marketing. So you've got a, a new influx of uh, medium-sized businesses and actually in many ways more innovative businesses and fast and agile businesses.
0: Okay, um, and while you were out there you were exhibiting um, your mm. 4K medical video integration system and the smart operating theatre technology. Yeah. Tell us what's special about these products in particular.
1: Yeah, well they're two quite distinctly different areas. The, uh, the smart operating theatre is um, basically, uh, you see uh, quite a lot of domestic commercial stuff about smart buildings. And it's basically taking that technology into hospitals. Yeah. So at the moment we have integrated operating theatres which actually aren't integrated. It's a small element of medical equipment in the middle of the room that's integrated, yeah. but it doesn't talk to anything else. Right. You then get the building has got some building management systems which are integrated, but neither of the two will talk together. Yeah. So basically what we've been building is a, an integration platform for integrating everything. So it's the Internet of Things for operating rooms. Right, okay. Um, and what that enables you to do is to is to look after the equipment, monitor the status of the equipment, how it's been used, what its repair status is from outside. So instead of people having to go and check the operating theatre before and afterwards, or yeah. when things are broken, we can actually tell whether things are going to break and whether things need replacing beforehand. And instead of firing off alarms in during the middle of an operation that yeah. something's gone wrong, actually. Most the medical team couldn't fix anything if it was you know, to do with the medical gases. Yeah. So you're just alarming them for no reason. We can actually take that information out at the operating theatre on the Internet of Things and actually know what's gone wrong when the operation's finished, turn up with the right set of parts, the right yeah. set of tools, and fix it without them knowing that anything ever was yeah. uh, had happened. Yeah. Um, so it's much more efficient, um, doesn't disrupt the medical mission. Yeah, and it saves a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. The second technology is um, 4K video systems, which... I um, think people are a bit blase about 4K because we've got you know, cameras with 4K on. You can yeah. watch 4K on Netflix. 4K is um, very difficult to handle live, which is what most surgical right. um, video is. So yeah. you're, they're coming for minimal invasive surgery at the laparoscope or the endoscope. The the difference in uh, data is um, if you compared full high-definition video and it was going through a garden hose pipe... Yeah full 4k is a pipe that's 1.2 meters in diameter right <laughs> so although yeah. you can do an end-to-end distribution so you can go from a, a 4k endoscope to a monitor on a fiber optic if you want to distribute the signal and move it around the operating theater to the sc- different screens or to move it out for teaching yeah that's very very difficult right um, and we are one of only two companies in Europe who can do that right I won't ask you how you do <laughs> trade <laughs> secrets I should. Uh, yes <laughs> yeah
0: so, you know, you're talking about all these people you're meeting at Medica, do you believe in partnerships and collaborations will play an increasingly prominent role in, in the work that Brandon uh, Medical is doing in the, over the coming years?
1: Oh absolutely, yeah, when I, um, I left university I joined Ford and the first thing they got you to do was write down every single car company you could think of right. and then draw arrows of collaborations between them okay. and it was a, a spider's web of yeah, collaboration yeah. Yeah. Uh, even in the biggest car companies in the world um, and in this medical environment where you've got all these converging technologies you absolutely need to be able to uh, to bring all the technologies together and integrate yeah. them into something that actually provides real benefit to the clinicians and the people who look after the equipment and the patients So I think for well for Brandon's one of the core products has been theatre control panels yeah, which used to be a big old metal box in the wall yeah. but it actually was the integration point because everybody's controls were in that one box yeah. so we've always Dealt with all the companies in the. They've got every single system in the operating room. Yeah. So actually, now that we have digital ways of controlling this this equipment and actually reading all of its status, we, we actually have those relationships for many many years, and we just continue to build them with you know, technology companies across the world. So you know, our key technology partners are in the you know, Japan, Taiwan, yeah. America, um, Germany. So it's very very highly integrated.
0: Brilliant. Um, And you've supplied some of the equipment to some of the largest NHS trusts in the UK. Could you describe some of the more bespoke projects you've worked on, such as the Dubai uh, Camel Hospital?
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, We were approached by um, the chief surgeon, who was actually an equine vet. He's a top equine vet in the world. And um, he was persuaded by the Crown Prince of Dubai to go to Dubai on a four-year contract assuming he was going to work on racehorses he was a little bit shocked when he found out (laughs) it wasn't it was camels he didn't get the (laughs) Hampton well (laughs) he did several of them Um, but he um, ended up with this uh, they'd built a camel hospital which is a fabulous building with the most advanced technology um, around it but they hadn't equipped the operating room and they couldn't work how to do it because it didn't have a roof so it has a viewing gallery around the top so all the ceiling mounted equipment there was no way to fasten it yeah so we ended up designing um, a digitally integrated operating theatre for camels, with all the equipment supported by, um, by pillars and cantilever arms over the top of the camel,
0: Fantastic!
1: Um, it's all bespoke. We didn't supply the operating table, which was a bit sad about, because it must be the only operating table in the world as a whole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a very, very cool project, and you know, for the engineering team it was just great fun. I bet it was, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, great. Great to hear. Thank you very much for no, that. It's you. been a pleasure talking to you and hearing hearing a bit about your journey. Yeah. Um, thanks for that. And everyone listening, I hope you join us next week for our next podcast. Thank you.